This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren and Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. Access to capital is important to participating in the American ideal of upward mobility. For historically marginalized groups, this is a problem. More about this challenge from our guest, Jane Hatley, the Regional Director of Self-Help Venture Fund and arm of Self-Help Credit Union. Marcus and I will be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. I am Darren Waters. We're talking about access to capital, important conversation here in the studio again with my brother Marcus. Marcus, glad to be here with you. Glad to be here too. Um, you know, Marcus, I, I was telling you earlier that I had the opportunity to, and some of our listeners may remember this name when I mention it, but Jack Kemp. Jack Kemp uh, was a congressman from New York, uh, also an NFL uh, football player, had played, I think he had been a quarterback, um, but an interesting, an interesting policy. Politician went into politics, uh, 1980s. Many people will remember his name. I think he may have gone into Congress at the same time that Reagan was elected to office in 1980, um, although on the Republican side, but someone who has some very interesting ideas, especially about capital and access to capital. I once had the opportunity to meet him, and some may remember that he also ran as the vice presidential candidate with uh, Bob Dole in 1996 in the 1996 campaign. But um, Jack, interesting, as I said, interesting guy in about his ideas around the economy and how to make the our economy here in this country more inclusive. He had a real, real passion for that. And he was once quoted as actually saying that the real civil rights battle of the 21st century is the chance to get access to capital. Very interesting to think about that. And he's, he's, he's tying this to a civil rights struggle, the, act, the issue of access to capital. You and I both know from our uh, knowledge of history that many people have had a problem getting access to capital, and that has been uh, proven to be a big challenge for them as far as participating in the so-called American dream. Oh, definitely. And I think it's, I think it's no overstatement to say that access to capital has been a primary um, battleground in the American experience. And I think that's the reflection of the fact that uh, because of how our society is, has been constructed, uh, full participation in American society um, at the economic level, the political level, requires access to capital. <laughs> um, and so if you're, if you're, if you're for whatever reason um, unable or limited in your ability to, 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 to access said capital, uh, then, then there's a way in which you, you, you aren't, you don't even really register or show up fully mm-hmm. um, as American, right. <laughs> and right. so and so this is really, I think, a key a key battleground and has been for for centuries. In it's country. interesting because you and I both just read and discussed an article that we was did. in the Atlantic, looking at what happened to black farmers in Mississippi, we and did. especially their inability to get access to capital and how much of their dispossession, property, yeah, was mm-hmm. uh, was taken from them. And I think that this is one of those issues that uh, really uh, that we need to go back and reconsider and talk about this, right? Government programs that were actually um, people being discriminated against in mm-hmm. government funding pr- uh, funded programs that were supposed to give people access to capital but didn't. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so I think this is a key thing to consider. So yeah. I'm looking forward to having this conversation with Jane Hatley to talk about what self-help credit union and especially the venture fund, ventures fund, is actually doing to address this issue. Jane is someone who has a passion for our community. So it should be an interesting conversation. So stay with us and Marcus and I will We'll be back in just a moment.
Again, Marcus and I are b- glad to be back here in the studio here on the Watterson Harvest Show at Blue Ridge Public Radio here in Asheville, North Carolina. So glad to have as our guest to, to discuss this issue of capital and access to capital and how important it is for people to be able to have the opportunity to participate in the American ideal of upward mobility or, as some people would say, just the American dream itself, whatever, however that is we, that we actually define it. So, Jane, Jane Hatley, we're glad to have you here here in the studio thanks for taking the time to come in and join yeah, us welcome jane thank you so much i'm happy to be here All right. so jane, i want to just jump right in you and i've known each other for a while it's been a it's just been a pleasure to get to know you i actually uh have worked with you on a couple of projects project we're working on right now and um just to see your commitment to just making our community a better place is something that is very uh, infectious. So I really want to say to tell you how much I appreciate that. Thank but you. I want to just jump straight in and talk about uh, Self-Help Credit Union and the Ventures Fund. Can you tell us a little bit about the credit union and your work with that organization? Sure. Well, I've been with Self-Help for almost 20 years. And um, I think you know, I'd never stayed in a job any place that long before, but <laughs> I think what has kept me with self-help is precisely this issue of access to capital. Um, I think that I would say access to capital is underlies every single uh, civil rights issue in this country, every single social justice issue. I mean, if you think about how credit unions were started right after the Civil War in in the states, they were often started by small uh, African-American communities in order to make sure that people had access to capital, mm-hmm. you know, because it's one thing to say you're free, but then how can you start a business? How can you get a house? Whatever. Um, and the issues continue today. And so self-help was started close. It's going on now about 36 years uh, ago by Martin Eakes and his wife, Bonnie Wright. And their goal was to make sure that with businesses going overseas, that there would that that these manufacturing companies and textile companies that were in small towns across North Carolina, that those folks would not lose their jobs. And the way that they chose to tackle that was access to capital was by saying, okay, if we make loans available to these small companies, to the workers themselves, that they could purchase that business, um, and then they might be able to keep those jobs in place. So that model was um, a little early for its time, sort of the worker-owner model, Mm -hmm. early in some ways, late in others. I mean, across Europe, that model is very successful. But for America, it was a little early. And so they soon saw that there had to be other ways to make sure capital got into communities. And so they went into doing small business lending and home lending. Um, And that's that's the really primary mission that we do now is making that capital capital available, available. to people. So did it, did the credit union start right here in North Carolina? In Durham. In mm-hmm. Durham. Okay. Yeah. So it's a North Carolina it's institution. North Carolina institution. Mm. It started with a bake sale out of the back of Martin and Bonnie's VW. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not surprised, Jane, to hear that that we see after the Civil War because so much is happening at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, um African Americans and others starting these 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 credit unions in order to create access to capital. So I'm 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 not surprised at all to hear that, but it, it, but it's helpful to sort of be reminded of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Jane, so self help says that it creates and protects 
ownership and economic opportunity for all, which is which is a mission that we wouldn't necessarily associate with your typical financial <laughs> institution in this country. Well, we, can you can you yeah. talk a bit about that? Maybe, maybe give us some examples of what that looks like. Okay. Well, we're a different kind of or a financial institution. Mm-hmm. I'd say we're primarily a social justice institution, <laughs> and the way that we live our mission. Um, we do it through sometimes through direct advocacy if we need to come in and be a force at the tables. So, for instance, uh, you know, for immigrant rights now or against uh, the marriage amendment in North Carolina, there are times when we have gone on the front lines. But most of our work is more behind the scenes. So we create products that make things accessible and available to people. So, for instance, we have a down payment assistance for single mothers. We ha- our, our home loans have a broader range of credit score, and we work with our borrowers to get them ready for home ownership. Um, our small business loans, the same thing. The whole idea was, okay, if banks are not doing lending to startups, then that, mm-hmm. let's do lending to startups. If they're, you know, if they're rural borrowers that don't have a bank, then mm-hmm. let's make capital available to them. Mm-hmm. So it's products. It's also advocacy work within our organization. The Center for Responsible Lending is an arm of self-help, and it fights predatory lending practices across the country. So So in North Carolina, um, it was responsible with a coalition of social justice organizations for driving out payday lending. You all know about payday lending, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming. Absolutely. You know, one of the evils of the world. And and, uh, self-help led the fight. And we were the first state to get rid of uh, payday lending. There's now a big group of people trying to bring it back in because it's a major moneymaker for people. Mm -hmm. So so there's advocacy. There's programs. and uh, products. I mean, right now we have uh, a youth savings account that helps hmm. youth learn how to save, so stuff hmm. like that. All right. Yeah. So, so, Jane, this really does bring up another question, and, um, and you've touched on it a little bit, but I'd like to kind of go back to it, and maybe we can dig just a little bit deeper into it. But thinking about the, the numerous conversations that are going on, not only here in our own local community, but across the state of North Carolina, the institute for Emerging Issues comes to Mm -hmm. mind here. They have been addressing the issue of reconnect community, these issues. We're having these conversations really across the country about what we can do to kind of reinvigorate and kind of strengthen our communities. And these are conversations that you are directly involved in. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about what role, if any, capital and access to capital plays in helping us to achieve those ends, strengthening and reinvigorating community? Well, I'd say we have so many years of awful financial history in this country. If you think of how our country was founded and everything about our financial history is horrible. So we have a long way to go, and we got to go farther than we're going now. Um, but the way that capital can be can play a part, well, for instance, here in town, you know, there are not that many African-American-owned businesses or Latino-owned businesses. 
And one of the reasons is whether or not, you know, people say, well, we didn't have people come in looking for loans. Well, then your system must be intimidating and, Hmm. you know, shut people out just by the very way you approach the loan process. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's if you if you really want to make capital accessible, then you you got to walk the walk. You can't just put it on your brochure. And so I think. So that's one way that capital can play make a difference. But one thing that's happened here in town recently that's very exciting to me is that the city and the county have come together and they've put money in a fund that will be a loan guarantee fund. And the Mountain Community Capital Fund is a fund meant to be targeted to brown and black business owners who have not had capital before because oh my goodness, they didn't have an uncle that could put up some money to help them get started, or they didn't have a house to put up as collateral. Mm -hmm. And so if those are the weaknesses involved, then the Mountain Community Capital Fund um, comes in with a loan guarantee that makes the loan happen. Mm -hmm. So it's very exciting to me. There's There's a fund like that in Charlotte that we modeled it on, and you know, it represents three organizations coming together, Mountain Biz Works, Carolina Small Business Development Fund, and Self-Help, to try to say, okay, if there's a way for this business to succeed, then we're going to help it help happen. It. Yeah. And there's a lot of technical service involved, too. Right. So yeah. so this really is an equity program, it sounds right. like. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because, um, and I'm sure we'll get to this later, but, uh, but much of what you're saying, especially around um, – uh, helping brown and black communities sort of understand um, more clearly uh, the language of, of, of lending, et cetera, really speaks to the whole issue mm-hmm. of, of financial literacy, which I think is has been historically um, used against marginalized communities mm-hmm. in this country. Yeah. But, but Jane, so, so there's a, um, a project called the Bringing It Home Conference. Um, could you speak a little bit, a bit about what this project is and what the principal goal or the drive motivation of it is? Sure. Well, we started it, um, I guess we've done it now three years in a row. And um, it's a collaboration of a bunch of social justice organizations in the area um, that came together and said, okay, let's talk about how to bring the issues that are there in front of our face, the economic issues, how to bring those into reality for people, and how to make the kind of information available that folks need in order to take advantage of what's already out there. You know, there are a lot, there's a huge number of nonprofits there are offering resources, but people don't even know they exist or they no, don't right. know how to get mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And so the the idea of the Bringing It Home conference was to bring it home <laughs> um, through panels and workshops. You know, so we had we had panels on home ownership. We had panels on financial capacity building, um, all of that. So each conference has a theme. I mean, we've had the theme of the history of African-American credit unions in the country because they have a huge and important history that people don't hear about. And so we brought in Jessica gordon Emhart, who's a specialist, has written this wonderful book on that topic Um, and then one year it was on buying locally shopping locally and encouraging people to not just think of local as the local white business but the local business in an area maybe you haven't been to before or you know for products that you haven't bought before Um, and then um, 
if I could remember what we had on last year, I'd be able to tell you, but my brain's <laughs> gone blank. Oh, it was on youth last year. Yeah. And so it was connect, It was talking about all the resources that are there for youth in our community with wonderful organizations like my daddy taught me that, my sister taught me that, Positive Changes, all of these you know, YTL, My Community Matters, all of these organizations that are out there to serve youth, but maybe youth don't all know about, about it. it right. And so it was to make that connection. It's interesting, uh, Jane, because you bring up something that is kind of a, one of those hot button issues uh, for me, and I would term it historical amnesia, mm-hmm. that we don't know a lot about uh, the, the uniqueness and I think the richness of the African-American experience. Absolutely. Marcus and I have had conversations about education, um, in the African-American community and we talked about the Rosenwald schools and I'm always shocked when people don't know anything about them. They've never heard of them. And and even here, when you're talking about this, this long and rich history of really African-Americans creating their own financial institutions mm-hmm. or through credit unions is a history that we don't know a lot about. I think about the Freedmen's Bank. Um, right. and, but, and look at what actually happened with the Freedmen's Bank. Um, how it was really undermined. And then Marcus and I, this recent essay, this article that we read in The Atlantic mm-hmm. on um, on what happened in Mississippi, yeah, looking at the, you know, uh, dispossession uh, of, of land among African-American farmers and how, you know, this even just access and the intimidation that they would experience when they did engage institutions that were supposed right. to be there to help provide this capital. So I think right. it, I think it is wonderful uh, that you all are addressing this and that you've brought it up. It's a topic that we it, we really could explore even further. Well, if you look at the the you know the original first sin, or no, not the first sin. I mean, there's so many sins, but one of the big ones, um, you know, GIs coming back from World War II and having. GIs of color denied the right to get a home mm-hmm. loan. I mean, that's there right there is a perfect example of access to capital and how it can make a difference over generations. Right, right. I here I'd like to kind of switch gears if we possibly could for just a minute and and talk about nonprofits versus uh, for profits. And it seems to me in so many conversations that I'm in, Jane, that people are so interested in creating nonprofit organizations. And I think that that has a lot to do, especially in this community, with uh, people wanting to really do something good for their communities. Right. But there seems to be more emphasis sometimes on the creation of nonprofits versus for profits, uh, for profit or organizations or businesses. Is that just a misperception on my part? Uh, it, is that true? And if so, you know, why is that the case? Mm. Well, I th- you know, I think the nonprofit structure, I've, I've been in both. I've, I have run nonprofits. I also had my own company before I came to self-help. So it was definitely for-profit, not making that much, but it was for-profit. <laughs> but, um, but I think that, you know, people... There's a separation. I mean, our business schools all teach about for-profit, but once again, there's that sort of intimidating air of if you really understand things like assets and balance sheets Mm. and all that, and I think that scares people off, although the same stuff applies to running a nonprofit. You know, you have Mm. to have all that capacity, but um, I think that's one thing, but the other thing is I think, you know, we have a an unfortunate history of 
white people running nonprofits and kind of keeping their distance by let us come and help you mm-hmm. instead of tell us how we can be a partner with you and do good work for you and for us, for the community. Mm-hmm. So there hasn't been a collaborative kind of feeling. It's been it's been more like let us stay over here right. up on our white mm-hmm. horse and you know so so i think that's unfortunate and but i think what i've seen that's been exciting to me in this town this is probably not answering your question darren but anyway i'm getting there <laughs> um, <laughs> what i have seen is nonprofits also shifting and saying we need to listen to community mm-hmm. we need to talk to each other Um, and that's been a major shift just in the 20 years that I've been working at self-help so it's that's very exciting to me but I think we need to go further and I think we need to say look it's not that big a deal to run a business I mean it is Mm -hmm. it's one of the hardest things in the world but so is running a nonprofit right so why Mm -hmm. not make it for profit and build up your own wealth right in the process that you know that what you just touched on right there I'm thinking about the broad disparities that exist and and I don't have the numbers here in front of me, but just when you look at the issue of wealth, the wealth, uh, the wealth, the gap. wealth gap, it's yeah. just enormous. It really is. So, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and there's a growing area of study um, among economists and sociologists entitled "Wealth, wealth Studies." Right. And this exactly. is one of the areas that that these these researchers are exploring. Um, so, Jane, so, so there's another program going on called Successful Transitions, which right. I, which, which I suspect um, uh, uh, connects very well to the Bringing It Home conference in various ways. Can you speak? a little bit about successful transitions and, and, and what's that and sure. what that's all about. Yeah, I'm just excited about that. Um, Dewana Little works for for self help with me. Mm. And you know, she's a visionary community leader. And about the first week she was on the job, she came in to me and she said, you know, we've got to do something about the benefits cliff. So let's mm. say somebody has been living in subsidy or subsidized housing and they sudden they get a job all their benefits stop in instantly and so mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. there's this horrible chasm that people fall in and it makes them want to as as happened to Duana makes her want to quit her job makes her want to you know say look i'll go back on subsidy i can't do this i've got children you know and and so she was saying why don't we create some kind of a program that could help people get over that and establish also a network of support because that's what kept her going. Mm -hmm. She had people around her helping her and supporting her. And so Successful Transitions is a program she came up with which takes a cohort of people who are in this situation um, and introduces them to all the resources that are out there Mm -hmm. that can help them get through that you know, it's often a very short period until the first paycheck mm-hmm. comes and you can make it. Um, and so it, it introduces them to resources. It gives them financial capacity building tools, working with OnTrack and, mm-hmm. and counselors and case managers for, for each uh, person in the program. And it has a match savings component so that 
folks save a little as they go through. It's a six-month program, and, and if they want to stay in the program, they need to save. And then at the end, if they make their savings goal, it's matched. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow. you know, it's a wow. pretty – and the idea of that fund is a emergency fund. You know, we're not going to save great wealth, but to have an emergency fund for those times when mm-hmm. there's no other right. resource. It, so, Hayne, this is – one of the things I love about doing this show is that we learn so much – so just hearing about that, because I know it's important, it's such an important program because I re- it, it had me thinking about the time that I worked as a probation parole officer uh, for five years in the state of North Carolina and the difficulty that we didn't make it possible. We made it very difficult for people to transition out of that successfully. Right. And so I think that this is an important program. And so it brings me to thinking about the whole issue of financial literacy. And Marcus, you brought that up just a minute ago. Um what are your thoughts about how well we're doing in preparing our citizens to be financially literate? Are we, do we do a good job with this? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're getting there. You know, there's the, there's a governor's commission that's working, and Dewana's involved in that. Some other great people across the state are involved in that, <laughs> of trying to improve our financial literacy in yeah. the schools and in the home. Um, I think financial literacy... I, I I have trouble with the term financial literacy because I think that's also a separating term. Mm. I think the term Mm -hmm. needs to be Mm -hmm. wealth building, and it needs to be wealth building Mm. for everybody. Mm. You know, we talk about financial literacy for people who are low income, but we talk about wealth building for Mm. white people. That's true. You know, just to be honest. And so... uh, so our approach is let's talk about wealth building from the beginning. Even if mm-hmm. the amount of wealth is a small amount, let's build it up. And um, and I think it needs to start as early as in kindergarten to talk about mm-hmm. what's money, what does it do, mm-hmm. you know, why is it in our world. Um, Greg Borum over at Children First is working on this with the children that they serve, and it's just, it's really impressive, mm-hmm. you know, and you can tailor the curriculum to the age. All right, so that's something for us to think about. Yeah, really. certainly, certainly, certainly. So, so Jen, you recently received a very distinguished honor, right? <laughs> you, were, you were named North Carolina's Financial Services Advocate of the Year. Tell us a little bit about about this honor and what it entails. I think if you're old enough, you start getting honors. (laughs) 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 Um, It's an it's an honor from the SBA, the Small Business Administration, and I I don't mean to be rude. I was really honored to have it, Um, Mm. but there there's you know that represents a lot of good people working mm-hmm. together so well yeah. jane we, congratulations congratulations even as award, <laughs> yeah. i know it was last year but congratulations again and I, and I want to thank you for coming in and talking with us i think this has been a very instructive show very much so. what happens is guests come in and you leave marcus and i with so much to think about that we're going to have to come back to it again <laughs> so marcus and i are going to step out for a minute and we'll be back in just a moment okay Well, we want to thank you all for joining us for this show. Uh, Marcus, this was a fun show to do, yeah, to talk really about this. This is such an important, a deep history here yeah. that we could go into the history of this. And Jane touched on it quite a bit in this show. Yeah, she did. And, and just the idea of reimagining a financial institution as a social justice institution is just, to me, 
fascinating. It to think is. About. It is. And thinking about the history of credit unions among African Americans, thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, this goes back, you know, we're in the sesquicentennial of America, of the American Civil War, mm-hmm. uh, our reconstruction now, and thinking about the work of the Freedmen's Bank and that first effort to really try to address this issue and looking at what happened there. And, and a lot of that had to do with discriminatory policies. I mean, the, the cards were really, the deck was really stacked against African Americans from from the very beginning. And I think that that's left uh, a a very deep and tragic legacy um, among. I I agree. And and, and thinking also about about the reasons for why there has been such so little uh, cross racial partnerships, specifically around capital. Right. And the need to see more of that. Right. And Jane even addressed the issue. I think she didn't use this term, but I couldn't help but think about it when she talked about how some nonprofits approach uh, minority Mm -hmm. communities or communities of color uh, in a way that is highly paternalistic. And I think that's something that. Uh, we, you know, uh, probably an opportunity for you and I to go back and revisit that in the history of paternalism. But again, Marcus and I thank you for joining us. And we want to remind you that the Waters and Harvey show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, the BPR mobile app and on iTunes and Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter. And Marcus and I will talk to you next time. Take care.